Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Lord, we do give you thanks that no matter what we face, the trials, the difficulties, that in your spirit, in your strength, it is well in our soul. I do pray for any person here today, Lord, who is really struggling, who is hurting and desperate. Maybe someone watching online who is in deep despair. That you would especially speak to their hearts to give them encouragement and hope and steadfastness. For all of us, that you would open our hearts and minds that we might hear from you. We do pray against any spirit of darkness that would try to distract or confuse or distort your truth. We ask your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to speak to us powerfully. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I have been in this series about a true church now for quite a while. But I do believe that it is what God is speaking very clearly to his people. Not to the church organization, but to the real church, the body of Christ scattered throughout the world, the true believers. And especially to believers in this country. That we would repent of our idolatry of the world, seek him, and be the church in this critical time that he calls us to be. Personally, I absolutely believe we are in the last days. I may not live to see the return of Christ, but it's plausible. All of the signs of the times are saying we are marching more and more rapidly toward that culmination. And I believe in these last days, the Spirit of God is going out through the world, calling people to himself to bring forth a great harvest of souls. And he's calling the church, the true church, to be the leaders, the participants in guiding people unto him. And he's calling the church to stand against the darkness Because in these last days, I believe the darkness is increasing. That Satan is more active and his minions are more active trying to pull people away from knowing the truth. And so there is a a great spiritual battle going on and we are called to be a significant part of it. And I believe that the Lord is calling this church, but every church in this country, to be different than we've ever been. To be more fervent in seeking him personally. To be more clear in our minds about the need to stand against the darkness. To be more surrendered to him so that his Holy Spirit might work through us to be used in his purposes at this time. And so last week I was talking about the importance of standing guard. That the church should be standing guard for the nation. Do you realize that? That 
you have a responsibility to stand guard within your household for your family, and that's true physically and spiritually, but the church has a responsibility to stand guard for a much larger body of people and even for the nation. And as I've said several times in recent weeks, the church has been in retreat. And it's time that the church stop retreating and recognize our mission and purpose. And so in looking at this idea of standing guard last week, I looked in the uh, book of Nehemiah. And the story there is about Nehemiah, who was one of the persons who was an exile. This is after the nation of Israel had been overrun and by the Babylonians and people carried off into captivity. <clears throat> many of them essentially serving as slaves under their new masters. And Nehemiah, though, lives sometime after that. He may have even been born in exile. And he lived at the time that the Persians had conquered the Babylonians, so he was under the service of the Persians in the palace of the king as a cupbearer. And he was concerned about the Jewish people back in the homeland, those who remained, and one of his brothers had gone there to visit and come back and explained to him that Jerusalem was in ruins, that the wall that guarded the city it was broken down, the gates were burned, that's what's in the early part of this scripture, and that the people there were in desperation. And so Nehemiah, even though he probably lived in some measure of luxury since he was a servant to the king, he was deeply concerned. The scripture says that he mourned and fasted and wept and prayed before God about what was going on back in Jerusalem. And one day he was in the presence of the king, King Artaxerxes of Persia, and the king asked him what's wrong because he could see in his countenance something wasn't right. And he explained to him his concern, his grieving about his homeland. And to make a long story short, he went through a process where the king eventually granted him the opportunity to go back and rebuild the wall and gave him support in doing so. And so we picked up the story in Nehemiah chapter 4 where they're actually rebuilding the wall and some of the neighbors, the Arabs, the Ammonites, others, heard about the repairs going on in Jerusalem and that the walls were being rebuilt and the gaps filled in and they were not happy about it because they didn't want to see a strong Jewish nation again. They wanted to keep them weak. It says that they were angry and, and they plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem. But Nehemiah and the other Jews there heard about their plan and they posted guards day and night that they were ready for anything that might come their way. And so we had looked at the scripture with particular focus upon this idea of being on guard. There's a scripture in Proverbs that talks about guarding your heart. And a few years ago, I did a teaching for the youth about guarding your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body. That there is this reality in the world in which we live that there's so much opposition, so much spiritual darkness that comes our way so rapidly that you constantly have to be on guard. And there is this need to guard your mind, your soul, your will, your emotions, your physical body, every part of you. Because if you are not aware and not on guard, you will allow things into your life that undermine you as a person and certainly undermine your Christian walk. And so the other part of that scripture we looked at last week was Nehemiah 4. We basically talked about that even though they were doing the job of rebuilding the wall, which they completed successfully that they were constantly on guard. 
It said half the men did the work, half carried their spears and shields and bows. They were ready for battle. That even those who were doing the work and carried a weapon with them, some had a sword at their side, that they continued to work constantly this way. And that they were on guard from daylight until dark. And then even at night they didn't completely rest. That every man stayed inside the city of Jerusalem. They were ready for battle if it came. And so the scripture there was talking about Nehemiah being a wise leader. But one who set the people to be constantly on guard against any threat. And there is never a time in the life of a Christian where you can let your guard down. Now, it happens that some people go through a season of life where maybe they're having a midlife crisis or maybe they're under a lot of stress or just something happens to them where they let their guard down and they make some unwise choices. And while God forgives and he can heal and restore there are sometimes consequences to decisions that we make when we are not on guard that have long-term, maybe even lifelong consequences. And so it is imperative that every one of us be on guard at all times, not only for yourself, but for those around you. In fact, there have been many times in, in my family where I've thought over the years about not making ourselves vulnerable to spiritual attack. In other words, you can make some unwise choices, go in unwise places or be around people that are, are not wise and make yourself vulnerable to spiritual attack. Like, for example, a, a married man should not spend time alone with anybody other than his wife. And if he does so, he makes himself vulnerable to spiritual attack where there's a lure of temptation or something of that nature. And so this is what I mean about being on guard constantly in every circumstance. Now, last week, the title was Standing Guard. And this week, I want to continue in some ways talking about that on a very related topic that I've entitled Standing Firm. You see, during your lifetime, there will come, and I'm sure for all of you, there have been circumstances where you simply must stand Maybe everything in you wants to run, wants to give up, wants to quit. And God says, stand. It's just a reality of human life, and it's part of the Christian walk, that you're going to go through difficult valleys, seasons of opposition, times when you want to quit, go in another direction, and yet God is saying, stand. And so I want to explore that in depth, that you and I, have a responsibility to stand in a lot of circumstances. And see, what I've been alluding to about the church being in retreat means, by definition, the church has not been standing. I've said that the church should be about the business of advancing the kingdom of God. But largely what members of the church have done in this country is ask God to advance our personal kingdom without very much concern about his kingdom. And so the church needs to stop retreating and stand and start advancing. And so I want to explore this by going to the scripture in Ephesians 6 that is about the armor of God. And surely you've heard great teachings. I'm not talking about just from me, but from many people. The, about the armor of God. It's very important. 
but scattered within the scriptures about the armor of God are several statements that I want to focus upon. Because it says, first of all, to be strong in the Lord and mighty in his power, to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, if you think about the teachings I've been doing over the last few weeks, like about purify your heart. In the case of that teaching, we looked at the fact that God purifies you, but the scripture also instructs you to purify your own heart. That he does his part. He always accomplishes what he is responsible for, and then he gives you a responsibility. Likewise, in being on guard, God guards over us. His angels surround us. He keeps us, yet he then requires that you and I be on guard. And here with regard to standing, God is the one who gives us the strength to stand. Like in Nehemiah's case, he depended upon God. He was willing to stand, but he also made choices himself to stand. And so the scripture says that you must stand against the devil's schemes. That in all of these teachings over the last few weeks, there is this interaction, this tension between God's sovereignty and what he does and your free will and the responsibility and choices that you have. That they both simultaneously coexist, that we have responsibilities. And oftentimes, our responsibility is to stand. And notice here, it says to stand against the devil's schemes. That every single human being, all of us, that we are in a spiritual battle. That all of us face spiritual opposition. We face times when the darkness comes against us. And you and I personally have a responsibility to stand. We go a little further. It says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there is this battle that you and I face all of the time. A lot of the world is oblivious to it. I had no idea there was a spiritual battle before I was a Christian. And then it took a while to really understand the depth and magnitude of it as I was maturing in Christ. Now I recognize that it is all around us, all of the time. You see the the darkness just working continuously to stir up turmoil and, and to bring strife and to bring death and all these types of things. It's the work of the demonic. And they're always seeking to do what? Seeking those that they may devour. The scripture says that Satan is always prowling around looking for those that he could devour. And so it says to stand against the spiritual forces of evil and to put on the full armor of God so that when you have done so, you can do what? Stand your ground. See, the armor of God is about preparing you. All the things about it, whether it's the breastplate of righteousness or any of those things, everything about it, understanding truth, is so that you can stand. And notice how it repeats this statement, after you have done everything, stand. Another version, I think, states that better. It indicates that when you have done everything you can possibly do, still stand. And it says, stand firm then. In the, with the belt of truth around you, the breastplate of righteousness, that within this statement about putting on the armor of God is this repeated indication that you and I must stand. God does his part, but he gives us a responsibility. 
And so I would stop there and ask you a question. Where is God calling you to stand right now? Now, I would go so far as to say I am 100% certain that he is calling every person in this room to stand. But every person probably has a different place where they need to stand. In other words, for some people, it may be a stand that you need to take that regards you. That you have been falling prey to the devil's schemes where he's wormed his way into your life, where there's a stronghold in your life, maybe an addiction or whatever it is, and you need to stand against the darkness in your own life. Maybe some of you need to stand against the darkness for your family or for another person where you know that there's things going on in their life and God is calling you to stand beside them, to be the stalwart who intercedes for them, who encourages them, that you are the person standing with them. It's just like when, when Aaron had to hold up the hands and the arms of Moses so that he could do what he was supposed to do. That God calls people to come alongside and stand for others. Maybe you're called to stand in some other way. In other words, you might be, let's say you're well over 90 years old and you've got all kinds of difficulties physically and painful and you, and you don't complain about a thing. You're just tough as nails and you think, I don't have anything I need to stand about. I'm standing for, and yet God is calling you to stand maybe for the church or for the nation. You know, I've met many older people who physically could not do what they could do earlier. But their prayer lives were more powerful than they had ever been. That God had built in them a depth of prayer and intercession such that they were more fruitful in their latter years than perhaps at any other time in the kingdom of God through their intercessory prayer. Some of the older ladies that I've known were just that way. They were prayer warriors, like my friend Mary Gordon that I've mentioned many times. She was a prayer warrior, especially in her latter years. And so God is calling all of us to stand somewhere. Where is he calling you to stand? In 1 Peter it says this, it says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. It says this, resist him standing firm in the faith. Here again, you have a responsibility. God does his work. He will empower you, give you the capacity to stand, but you have a responsibility to resist. When temptation comes your way, and that's probably where God is calling some of you to stand right now. If temptation comes your way and you're toying with it, you're inviting it just a little bit. If you bite on that just enough, he's got you. And see, your stand is against that type of thing. That you cannot toy with it. I think the Lord reminded me of some years ago. A female made, let us say, flirtatious comments to me. Now, I know that's hard to imagine. 
but she did. And it, it, show, it so caught me off guard that I was like, what, what did I just hear? I, just, I couldn't believe what I just heard. And I, I was a little dumbfounded by it. And I quickly escorted her away and just walked away from that situation. And then I dwelt upon it for a while and was troubled by it. And after that point, this person created a few problems for me, okay? Not in that same way, but in a different way. And so I have this friend of mine who is a professional counselor, or he's retired now, but he's a friend, and we just went to breakfast. And I didn't go to breakfast to talk to him about anything specific, but that particular day, this issue came up. And I told him about it. And I said, you know, it it bugs me why this has been a problem since then. And he was keen to see right through it. And he said, because you didn't take the bait. He said, she's angry because you didn't take the bait. I went, oh hadn't seen that and then I've reflected on that over the years and talked with some other people about it and thought in that moment I knew to quickly turn away I didn't think of it as I'm taking a stand but I did what if I had taken the bait think about it One little choice to take the bait can entrap you. And see, this is what I mean about standing. Some of you are at a place of temptation and you are not standing. You're flirting with the bait. Maybe even tasting it. If you ever go on bluegill fishing, you know, bluegills are really good about taking a worm off of a hook without getting the hook. Now, eventually they'll get the hook. They're not that great, but they they really can do an excellent job of tasting the bait and taking it without getting the hook, but eventually they get it. And you see, that's what happens if you are not standing. But there are so many different ways in which we are called to stand that it varies dramatically for every person. And sometimes when God calls you to stand, it is not a brief thing. Sometimes he is calling you to stand and it may be for years against opposition, against trials, against difficulties. It's like you take like David who was appointed as king, but before he could actually ascend and be king, he faced enormous opposition from the house of Saul, wanting to kill him. And he had to stand in what he knew God had called him to for an extended period of time. There are lots of situations in life where God calls you to stand And you hope that it's going to be a short thing, but it's going to be 
a long thing. And sometimes it's in standing that he teaches you the most. See, that's why it says stand firm in the faith. You're not standing in your own strength. There are things that if I had to stand in my own strength, I would just give up. But you're standing in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, giving you the capacity to stand when everybody else says give up. In fact, one of the things that I've realized through life is this. That there are people that you can talk to that are wise counselors. But you know how the scripture talks about do not cast your pearls before swine. Not every issue or struggle that you have needs to be discussed with a lot of people. Because not every counselor is wise. In fact, if you're dealing with a major issue and you're wanting advice, if you ask a large number of people what they think, you're going to end up with about a 50-50 balance between those who are for and against and opposed and all those kinds of things. And so really asking too many people can be unwise. Now, I ask for counsel, and all of us should. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but you must be selective in who you speak with. Because sometimes you will get bad counsel that tells you to run when God is saying stand. In fact, I've seen this over and over. People who are entrenched in an adulterous affair tend to ostracize anybody who is giving them wise counsel about avoiding it. And they tend to affiliate with those who give them unwise counsel about, oh, it's fine, you just go in that direction. God will bless you. He'll forgive you. And you see, sometimes what we do is we gravitate toward those who give us counsel that appeals to the flesh rather than listening to wise counsel that says stand in what God has called you to. The latter part of this scripture says that we are to stand because, look, there are people throughout the world who are going through sufferings greater than ours, and they're standing. Those under great persecution, those who are in the underground church because they don't have the freedom to come together and worship as you and I have. Even in this country right now, there are parts of the country where there is much greater persecution and much, much greater oppression upon the freedom of the church. And see, so you think about this. This scripture, it comes from 1 Peter. Well, think about what the early disciples faced. You and I, none of us probably have encountered the opposition that they encountered spiritually and physically. That they were under threat of death, often beaten and left for dead, things of that nature. And yet they did what? They were standing. And God calls us to stand in a similar fashion. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians, it says, be on your guard, what we were talking about last week, and stand firm in the faith. It says, be men of courage, be strong. Now, I think there is a mistaken idea that people who are filled with courage never have fear. 
If there are those who run into a crisis, if they don't have fear, they're probably foolish. But courage is doing what must be done even though your emotions and your your thoughts are telling you that it's too hard, it's too difficult. And your fear is arising saying, I can't do that, but courage says, I do it anyway. Do that what, which is right. And so God's calling all of us to stand for our personal lives, but I believe he's calling the church right now to stand for the nation. More than any time in my lifetime, I believe right now God is calling the church, the true church, to repent so that we might stand for the nation. Now, when we talk about standing, I want to explore it from the categories I talked about last week. I talked about being on guard for yourself, your family, your, your church, your nation. What does it mean to stand for yourself? Well, I've alluded to that it means standing with regard to how you think, that is, with regard to your mind, with the choices you make with regard to your will, and even in your emotions. Now, there are some people who sort of have the attitude that, well, my emotions just drive who I am, I can't control them. That's not true. Your emotions are a consequence of how you think and the choices you make. Now, I do recognize that there are some personalities that are far more emotionally driven than others. I mean, this is just the way God has created us. Like if you take the Myers-Briggs test, one of the dimensions is thinkers versus feelers that some people are very they're very mental rational thinking people while others they experience things more with their emotions I understand that there are there are differences in people and sometimes even that's a difference between just men and women but your emotions are not out of your control they are a consequence of the choices and the things that you think Because, you know, you can be in the midst of a circumstance that is just overwhelming, that could just destroy you emotionally, and you can have peace. Because your mind is set upon Christ, and his spirit is giving you peace. I know many of you, maybe most of you, have experienced that, where the scripture talks about peace that passes understanding, that there can be situations where you should be falling apart, and you have peace, and it's the spirit of the Lord giving you peace. But when it comes to standing, you have to stand for yourself before you can stand for others. What I've said over the last few weeks, look, we're supposed to be, as a church, standing against the darkness. But too much of the time, the church has been compromising with the world. I said it that the church has essentially been sleeping with the enemy. And so we're supposed to be standing against the darkness, not compromising with it. And so if you're going to stand for others, you must first stand for yourself. If you are compromising with darkness, you are not standing for yourself or anybody else. You're leaving open the door for darkness to work in you and through you into the lives of other people. So it starts with standing in your mind. What are you going to stand against? Not allowing the darkness into your mind. I've read some very sad statistics recently about 
how much people really know about the truth of Scripture. And even among evangelical Christians, Bible knowledge is relatively low. In fact, like Barn and others, they'll do surveys and they'll ask basic questions that are designed to reveal whether or not a person has a foundational understanding of biblical truth. And even for some very simple and clear things, it's obvious that many people do not. And see, if you don't have a a sound understanding of truth, it's going to be pretty hard to stand. That Every time that we're exploring Scripture, whether you're doing it personally or we're doing it as a group, you're building into your soul truth so that you can stand on truth. See, the more truth is ingrained in your soul, the more it imparts wisdom to you so that you stand and know what is wise and what is not. But standing with regard to your will is is making choices to do something or to not do something. There are choices that we must make not to endeavor in certain things. Years ago, I was talking with this young pastor. And he told me this story. He said when he was in seminary, some of the other seminarians decided they were going to go to a strip club. Now you'd think, what? Seminarians? I've told you, seminary can do as much to damage your faith as it can do to help it. And he told me, he said he made the unwise choice to go with them. And he immediately felt very guilty about it. Now you see, there were obviously, probably the leader of that was a person who had a stronghold of lust, who was already compromising with the world, and who knows what compromises they made later and what destruction they wrought upon the church. But... Somebody there was gathering others around. You see, by them not standing personally, they were inviting others into a place of temptation. This person didn't stand initially, but stood thereafter. See, he told me the story and basically of repentance. Because he knew immediately, oh, this was a terrible decision. You see, standing in your will is against doing what is not of God, but it is also standing and doing what is of God. Like sometimes you are taking a stand for another person and God is calling you to go and be the one who confronts them, who maybe consoles them, and maybe everything in your flesh says, I don't want to do that. And God is saying, stand for them it's not standing against something it's standing for something and you see lots of times your emotions will say to you run quit give up and God is saying stand I I must say many times in my Christian life where I've come to places where I'm like Lord, I'm done. I quit. And then I stop and pray. And he, every time, 
without exception, he has said, trust me, stand. He's never said, just quit, give up, that's good for you. Very unlikely. Now, that's not to say there couldn't be a time when God says, you're done there and it's time to move on. That's not it. But he usually doesn't say, just, just quit today and run. That's unwise. In fact, even if he says to you, your time is done, he's probably going to show you the, the right time to depart. In fact, I'd say when I was still teaching at a college, probably at least a year, maybe two years before I left, I was done. I, I just knew there was nothing left in me. I didn't want to. I was looking for other jobs. And then at the right time, he brought along the door he had opened. Now, you also stand for your family, and I, I mentioned this last week, like when you're on guard, you're physically protecting them, but spiritually standing for your family can be very, very diverse in terms of what role you take. Particularly with, if you've got younger children, then obviously you're standing in protection of them physically, but do you know how you stand for your young children, parents? By the model of your life. That's a little scary. But the way you stand on behalf of your children is by the model of your own life. And if you are modeling the reality of Christ in you, and the reality of Christ in your relationship with your spouse, you are standing against the darkness on their behalf. But if you are not setting an example, a model of Christ in your life, you are not standing for your children. That, that should be sort of a slap in the face to every parent to really stop and think about, am I standing? And you know, that doesn't stop when your children become adults. Because I've seen situations where parents, after their children had reached adulthood, set a very poor example later in life and it had an adverse effect upon their children. See, the model that you're setting is always being watched by the generation behind you. And maybe two generations, sometimes three generations are watching you. And it's a very important thing. Last Sunday, I did a funeral service for a lady who was a part of this church. She was 90 years old. And no funeral service is easy. But as they go, this one was one of the better ones because her legacy was one of having walked so solidly with Christ, the model that she set. Her own children stood up and spoke just wonderfully about what a great mom and what a great Christian lady and that she made the best potato salad in the world. They did emphasize that. But then, like her granddaughter stood up and spoke. And her great-grandchildren were there. 
And see, she had been standing for her family by the model that she had set of Christian living. And it certainly had had a big impact down through the generations. See, the way you stand for your family is the model you set as a parent or grandparent or great-grandparent. And if you are not standing against the darkness in your own personal life, by definition, you are not standing for your family. You understand that? If there's one thing that I, I do think is so important and I, I, is that like both, both parents, but especially men, stand in their own lives to protect their children spiritually, not just physically, but spiritually. And quite frankly, it makes me mad when I encounter people who are not doing that who are leaving their children vulnerable because of their own foolishness in terms of allowing the darkness into their life. Now, the scripture also says this in Philippians. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is Paul writing, and he says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you, in, in, a, in my absence, he says, I will know that you do what? That you stand firm in the spirit. See, this idea of standing is in many different parts of the scripture. And he says, contending as one man for the faith. Standing firm in one spirit as one man. In other words, standing in unity. And if there is one thing that the spirits of darkness love to do, it is to create disunity anywhere and everywhere. The Spirit of God brings unity in the body. It's one of the beautiful things to encounter Christians in different parts of the world, and, and you've known them for less than five minutes and there's always already a spirit of unity between them i met a gentleman just this past week from florida and in the first conversation i had with him i speculated he was a christian and that proved true and there was this sense of unity in the spirit but the spirits of evil want to create disunity and the place they most love to create disunity is in the church now, the church is really a collective of families. And so they start by creating disunity, division in families. And we are a very fractured society in this regard where the spirits of evil have been very successful. But the spirits of evil want to create disunity. They will worm their way in any way possible to create disunity within a family. And this is a place where some of us are called to stand. Maybe you're tempted to just have nothing to do with such and such family member. God might be calling you to stand against disunity, against division. Or maybe, you see, look at the landscape of the church. The church should be one cooperative, functioning body under the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
but throughout church history and certainly in modern America, the church is very divisive. It's very scattered. There's a lot of jealousy, a lot of argumentation, a lot of which is unnecessary. Many of you have been through the Emmaus program, the Emmaus Walk, and I, I first went through it over 30 years ago. And one of the things I thought was beautiful about that, and still is, is that it crosses denominational barriers and it brings unity in the body of Christ. And quite frankly, any time I encounter anything that brings unity in the body of Christ, I'm in favor of it. That's why we hosted the ultimate encounter here just shortly ago. Because when those young men came to us and asked about it, I mean, I'm immediately, yep, I'm in favor of it. But you see, sometimes the stand that you make is for unity, especially in the church. Now, going back to that, in order for there to be a stand in the church, the stand must start with truth. It must be a unified stand, and it must be with pure hearts. See, that's what I've been talking about recently when the teaching I did about guarding your heart, a pure heart, is that's the foundation of being able to stand. If my heart is dark, I can't stand against the darkness. So much of the modern church has abandoned truth in favor of human ideology, but truth is clear in Scripture and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Truth. He's the one who gives us the capacity and strength to stand. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, some of us are called to stand, especially right now. Actually, I would say all of us are called to stand, especially right now, for the nation. The number one way we stand is in prayer. Praying for leaders. Even if you don't like a leader, you pray for them. Praying that God would raise up godly people in every level of leadership, whether it's national or at the state level, that God would raise up people who are humble before him, who surrender their lives to him. And people who would stand in wisdom. You see, sometimes God raises up a person to stand in godly wisdom. The story of Will, William Wilberforce is a good example. He was a part of Parliament in England, and he was a small man of, of small stature, but he was a, a person who was a strong orator. He was a, a booming speaker, which in Parliament, the way they argue with each other and argue over top of each other, it's very necessary. And the story of Wilberforce was that he spent most of his life arguing in Parliament that that England would stop the slave trade because the slave trade had started with the Portuguese and the Spanish and the French and then the English had come along and they had sort of perfected it and they were the largest traders of slaves going to Africa, buying them from other tribes. You know, the tribes would conquer one another and sell off the ones they'd conquered and, and so they were buying them transporting them to different parts of the British colonies like 
Barbados and other such places, then eventually into the American colonies. And Wilberforce was raised up as a Christian man in Parliament to spend his whole life fighting the slave trade. Go and look him up and read about him. And it was an exhausting task. He failed many, many times. The votes would be against him. And then right at the end, well, first of all, John Wesley lived at the same time, the guy who founded Methodism. And Wesley wrote him and encouraged him and said, if God has raised you up for this purpose, God is going to accomplish it. That Wilberforce was to stand and keep standing, even though he kept losing. And shortly before he died, Parliament voted to make the slave trading illegal in the British colonies. And see, he was a person called at the national level to stand in wisdom. You know, if you look at the history of slavery in the early colonies in this country, slavery was not just in the southern states. It was in the northern states as well. It was just more widespread in the southern states like South Carolina. But there was slavery in Pennsylvania, for example, and I believe I'm correct that Pennsylvania was either the first or one of the first to outlaw slavery, and it was the consequence of Christians standing up against it and continuing to voice voice their opposition to eventually that the state legislatures voted to abandon slavery in that state. And then one state at a time, it kept happening. Others, mostly in the north started outlawing it but then in the south instead of going in that direction it became more deeply entrenched where there were more laws to protect slavery rather than end it and you see there's an example of where in some cases there were people at the national level standing up against darkness and others compromising with it to the point that it led to such this destructive civil war that had such massive consequences for us as a nation and still does today Wisdom would have been if the church had advanced the idea that that in Christ all are equal and walked away from slavery, abandoned it, and abolished it such that that war could have been avoided. And see, I I think we're, we're at a time where there is such division in the nation that it is critical that the church stand against the darkness. You know, I I don't really care what your political views are. If you've been around here a long time, you know, I don't try to tell you how to vote. I think we have a responsibility to vote. But I believe it's the Holy Spirit who will instruct you in how you should vote and what you should vote. But I do believe we have a responsibility as Christians to stand against the darkness. And if that is part of how you vote, then this is a place where we must stand. But right now, the church must stand in intercession for a nation that is very troubled. And see, that if you don't have any place where you personally need to stand, the place you need to stand is for the nation and for the church. I mean, some of you, I realize, are, are so in such bondage that you need to stand for yourself, and really, that's about all you can do right now. Okay, I understand that. But for... Many of us, the place you need to stand is for the church, the true church to arise and to stand for the nation. Because really, it does matter what happens in this nation because what happens here affects the rest of the world. If freedom declines here, it will decline elsewhere. 
If the church fails here, what it is doing is failing the church elsewhere. Just think about how many churches and missionaries and others around the world are dependent upon the church in this country right now. It's like Vicki Adundo and her orphanage. The Lord, first of all, orchestrated years ago that ladies who went to Kenya on a mission trip somehow ended up connecting with her and so forth and became friends. And then she has become such an integrated part of this. And so many people here at Celebration support them. At one time this summer, I contacted Arcadius and I asked him, I said, do you guys have enough food? And he said, prices had skyrocketed there and it's hard for them to get food. And I forgot what he told me. He said, we have enough food for ne- to get us through next week. And so some of you know what, where this story goes because I put on Facebook, hey, they have a need. If you're willing and able, would you help them? They don't have enough food. Within a very short period of time, the people from Serving Orphans told me that people gave $20,000 to feed them. And see, they're dependent upon us to survive. We, we sponsor a, a, an orphanage in India where there are like 75 kids that are dependent upon Celebration Church to survive. There are missionaries around the world that we support. There's depend- See, the church must be the true church to be the church that supports what's going on in the world. I sent Arcadius a message recently, and I said, just how are things going? And he was saying, well, we have enough food right now. Things are pretty good. And, we, I, and when he says enough food, that means they have enough to at least have one meal a day for probably the next two weeks. In his mind, that's great. And he said... And I said, well, what about the virus? And well, we're okay there. We just have a few cases of malaria and typhoid, nothing out of the ordinary. He literally said that. Just, just ordinary, we have malaria. That's what we always have. And see, we, we think about ourselves to the point that we don't recognize the kingdom of God is around the world. You and I are connected to it. We have a greater opportunity to be connected to the kingdom of God around the world now than at any time in the history of this world. That some of you, many of you, sponsor children around the world. You're making a difference in their lives, things like that. But it's important that you stand for the body of Christ here in order to stand for them. Lastly, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me tell you, any time God calls you to stand, there is an important purpose. And he's got a purpose in it. That there will be a reward in heaven for your standing. Even though you may never see the fruit of that. You know, Wilberforce could have died a week before that was passed. But he would have received a reward in heaven for his standing against the darkness. So where is God calling you to stand? 
Are there some personal choices you need to make to stand? Is he calling you to stand for somebody else? Maybe you've got a wayward child or a wayward grandchild and God's calling you to be the one standing in the gap for them, interceding for them. Maybe he's calling you to be the one to go and confront them. Oftentimes parents come to me and, or maybe a grandparent and they're concerned about their teenage or young adult child who's gone off on a bad path and it's pretty rare that a child in that age range will listen to the parent. You know, if they're on a wayward path in that age range, it's unlikely they will listen to the parent. And as a parent, you may be, sta- may be standing as an intercessor on behalf of them spiritually, Trusting that God will orchestrate in their lives, bring along the people that they will listen to. Sometimes it might be the most unusual circumstances, the unusual character, somebody that you would have never thought God would have used, and yet God would use them to open their mind and their heart. But where is God calling you to stand? The worship band's going to come back. And the song that they're doing really declares why we stand. And if you know there's something in your heart where you have not been standing, I would encourage you to lay that before the Lord right now. Sometimes you just need to get angry. And throw it down and say, Lord, enough. I'm not giving in to the darkness anymore. I'm going to stand. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.